0: What got you there with got you, got you? What got you there with Chandalane? Got you there with Chandalane. What got you there with Chandalane? Got you there with Chandalane. got you there with Chandalane? Got
1: you. John Chambers is a legendary figure in Silicon Valley. Chambers served as CEO, Chairman, and Executive Chairman at Cisco Systems, turning a simple router company into a backbone of the internet. He has been a trusted advisor to presidents and politicians on both sides of the aisle and earned the first ever Clinton Global Citizen Award for Corporate Citizenship. As founder and CEO of JC2 Ventures, Chamber is now investing time and money into the next generation of tech leaders, helping innovative startups from around the world grow and scale their businesses by navigating and accelerating market transitions. JC Two Ventures has a mission to better society by driving innovation, jobs, economic prosperity, gender diversity, inclusion, and success. His new book, Connecting the Dots, Lessons for Leadership in a Startup World, is a must read for anyone looking for leadership lessons.
2: If you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance that your physical fitness is one of the most important aspects of your life. So why do you keep wearing those old workout shorts that are falling apart? or even worse, when you're at the gym and something smells a little ripe, if that's the case, it's time to turn in those old shorts for a new pair of 10,000 shorts. 10,000 makes it super simple to purchase your new favorite workout apparel. My new favorite short is their distance short, which is super comfortable, lightweight, and perfect for all of my fitness goals. I can say without a doubt that 10,000 shorts are the most comfortable workout shorts I have ever worn. Like myself, 10,000 is obsessed with nailing the fit with the highest quality materials and construction. For the listeners of what got you there, 10,000 is offering 20% off your first order of shorts. Yes, that's 20% off. This is just in time to purchase the perfect holiday gift for your loved one or even treat yourself to a new wardrobe for the new year's goals. 10,000 makes three types of shorts for every way you train. The interval short that's built for versatility and mobility and perfect if you're into a bit of everything. It comes with an optional built-in liner that's the perfect compression without being too tight. It's made from super fine Italian fabrics. Ooh, fancy. So it's not just functional, but more comfortable without losing any support, and you need that support. The foundation short that's built for durability and perfect for anything with barbells, strength training, or even a weekend adventure. The Distance Short, my personal favorite. It's a super lightweight short, breathable and built for running. Also with a built-in liner, these shorts fade away while you run. When you check out, make sure you request their one in one out kit. They do this super cool thing when you can send in your old gear you have for recycling and you'll get 10% off your next order. Head to www.10000.cc forward slash W-G-Y-T to receive 20% off your order. And if for some reason you don't love them, they have your back with free shipping, free exchanges, and free returns. A few months ago, my body was experiencing a ton of pain, and that's when my friend and former podcast guest, Noah Olson, turned me on to Pure Spectrum CBD. Their CBD products have been tremendous in relieving a lot of the pain in my body. Their products are pure because everything they make is tested every time for quality, consistency, and efficiency. They're 100% organic, third-party tested, there's a 100% guarantee, and they're THC free. If you wanna receive 10% off the entire site, head to PureSpectrumCBD.com and enter code WGYT. That's 10% off the entire website at PureSpectrumCBD.com with code WGYT. For the What Got You There listeners who love to travel and wanna see the world, listen up. We've teamed up with GlobeKick, who make it affordable to enjoy peak life experiences with like-minded people from around the world. GlobeKick expertly designs, curates, and scouts global adventures for you to join. Each trip lasts one week and is designed to balance their unique blend of adventure, culture immersion, and relaxation. Globekick has some epic adventures planned, such as cage diving with great white sharks in Cape Town, South Africa, dog sledding, and northern light chasing in Norway, and to see the rest, head to globekick.com. If you want to travel the world with your kind of people and not break the bank, then make sure to stop at globekick.com and enter code WGYT to receive 10% off your membership. John Chambers, welcome to What Got You There. How are you doing today?
0: John, I am doing great. I got to teach you about you being from Carolina and me from Duke, but we'll have no problems with the interview, but I'll give you some Greek. When you play basketball
2: this year. Oh, yep. A couple Tar Heels, a couple Blue Devils getting along here on the call. So I do appreciate that. And I love a good college basketball rivalry. But I mean, I want to dive right into this. You bring so much value with your new book and, and your career and what you were able to accomplish. I mean, here you took Cisco from 70 million in revenue when you started with them in 1991 to 47 billion. That's billion with a B. I mean, what were you like as a young John Chambers, though? (laughs)
0: well as a young John Chambers I wasn't as good an athlete as you were but I was a gym rat I played almost all the sports I went to school for nine and a half years and loved it and you didn't have any money uh that was okay nobody else did either and then I, I came into technology by mistake I I didn't have any interest in going to join IBM but my friend at IBM said I've got two tickets to the basketball game I said I'll be there and ended up in computers and mainframes and then in the mini computers and i learned about transitions there and we're going through transitions in life so quickly the amazon walmart transition the the uber uh... versus buying cars transition etc uh... it's important for everyone to understand how technology will change our lives Everybody says it, but I think very few have a grasp for how quickly this is going to change things. I mean, but you, I had fun to answer your question. <laughs> I uh, enjoyed sports. I enjoyed uh, uh, tremendously exercising and uh, learned to love technology over time.
2: I mean, it's funny. You, you hear technology and transitions, and I, I'm assuming a lot of the listeners might think, hey, maybe he's from Silicon Valley, maybe New York, Boston, and upstart opportunity there like that growing up. That wasn't the case, though, when you write about it in your book, being from West Virginia. What was that like growing up in West Virginia at the time?
0: Well, first, I'm very proud of West Virginia. It's a state that I love, really good people. Uh, It was the chemical center of the world. 6,000 top engineers, DuPont, FMC, Carbide, Monsanto, et cetera, and it was the coal mining center of the world. And my parents were both doctors. They taught me a lot about life. My mom taught me the emotional side. My dad taught me the business side. And they had a way of just instilling inner confidence, but practicality. But I watched West Virginia fall from grace and canley, where we're struggling to recover. And I'm hoping to play a role in that with West Virginia University uh, in terms of the state becoming a startup state. But it's also where I learned my values and how to deal with stress. I opened the book by saying I was fishing with my dad in a river called Elk River. Uh, and he told me I was six years old not to get too far into the water you get swept away by the rapids and it was really dangerous. And we were fishing and what did I do? I got too far in and I got swept away. And it was very serious. It was a very dangerous part of the river. And uh, uh, six years old, each time I came to the surface, my dad was yelling at me to hold on to the fishing pole. And I could see him running down the side of the bank as fast as he could. And he kept yelling, hold on to the fishing pole. So Obviously, he wasn't scared about me drowning. It was a cheap fishing pole, maybe $5, black, ugly casting rod. But if he was concerned about the pole, uh, I stayed focused on it. And I just got beat up on the rocks, rumbled down through there. And he swam out about uh, 200 yards below and pulled me out of the water. And he set me down and he said, John, one of the things you've got to learn is when life gets really stressful, you've got to be very calm. And if you focus and panic, you can get drowned and you have to go with the tide or go with the river and learn how to get back out and he instilled that in me in life and and he didn't tell mom this but he threw me back in the water not threw me uh, put me back in and let me go through it on my own and then he then he gave me my pole back and said go ahead and fish and he trusted me not to fall in again but that lesson stuck with me forever and it's a lot about west virginia values It's, it's how you build that confidence it's how you deal with the setbacks in life which are inevitable and it's how do you learn often from your family members about how to deal with those setbacks together?
2: I mean, an incredible story there and the life lessons from such an early age. I have to bring up confidence. You, you continue to mention that word. Were there any other times during your childhood where confidence really came out for you and it was essential for your upbringing?
0: It really was. It, my parents taught me very early on something I believe firmly I. Nobody's above you, but nobody's below you. We're all equal in life, and you treat people that way. I've never, ever, uh, Sean, raised my voice in business, ever. Uh, that doesn't mean I didn't have high expectations for my team, which my team would clearly agree with. But I, I was dyslexic at a time. Dyslexia was not understood. And in the third and fourth grade, even though my parents were doctors, uh, the teachers began to wonder when I graduated from high school. And because of a teacher named Mrs. Anderson... She uh, taught me how to deal with this, quote, learning disability, which at that time, they didn't talk about dyslexia. And over several years, meeting with her a couple of times a week, she taught me how to take a weakness and make it a strength, which I still use today because dyslexics can't go serially. Anybody that has a dyslexic and their family knows this, we get lost when we try to read things. But we're very good at taking the big picture and looking at how do you put that big picture in mind. Secondly, once you've had that setback, Sean, you never make fun of anybody else. Uh, I don't make fun of other people uh, except UNC fans. Uh, a little bit of humor there. And uh, uh, I never downgrade others. And so you learn how to deal with it. I intended to never mention it in my business career. And at Cisco, we had I take our children to work each day. And it was almost 17, 18 years ago. And there were 500 people in the audience. And a little girl came up to ask a question. And, uh, uh, I was on stage and she tried to ask the question. She couldn't get it out. She was trying to read it and she started to cry and headed back to her seat. And I followed her off stage and I said, Yang, let's try again on the question. And she said, I'm dyslexic and I, I can't read. And I said, I am too. And I, 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 said, let's just sit down for a second. Here's how you do it. You don't memorize the question. You just look me in the eyes and say, what is that's on your mind? And you can do anything you want in life uh, and overcome these issues, and I did. And she started to, I said, all right, come back up and ask the question. Then I realized I'd made a major mistake. I left the lavalier mic on, and the whole audience knew that I was dyslexic. And I thought then perhaps it was I that made the mistake. What followed was a surprise. People really cared, and they viewed me as more open and more human because of that. And that's when I literally became very open about my dyslexia and I talk regularly about it because it helps others get through it. But to this moment, Sean, it's my hands sweat talking about it. Uh, You never get rid of the fear. You just learn how to manage the fear, learn how to swim with the current and and not get, uh, not drown in the process.
2: I mean, I love hearing the stories like that. And I really do truly appreciate you sharing the disability you went through because I think so many people from the outside can just look at you and the unbelievable career and success you've had. But these, these setbacks, these truly set the foundation for who John is and what you develop. So I appreciate you sharing that. Let's talk about 83 and you going to work for Wang Laboratories. And in the book, you mentioned about Wang and what really drew you to him and being a visionary and so smart. Can you talk about going there to work for him and then what you learned at that time?
0: Well, by the time I'd come out of West Virginia and, and seen our state get disrupted uh, and then uh, watched, went to IBM and learned about mainframes—big, huge computers that go in data centers. Get disrupted by the mini computers. Uh, Wang was the next frontier, and I, I understood that. And mini computers were on the roll during the eighties and just amazingly strong. And what I learned from the mini computers, Dr. Wang invented the what they call the mini—the uh, magnetic core memory—made them work in the for the whole industry when he was at Harvard. It taught me about getting transitions right, and they wait for no one. And the many computer companies, when it transitioned to the PC and the Internet, they're all gone. And only a few mainframe compa- uh, companies like IBM even survived the mainframe transition. So it taught me you've got to change. And in life, these changes are going to come faster and faster, as everything in the world gets connected, going from a thousand devices connected to the Internet when Cisco was formed to $20 billion today to $500 billion, uh, in uh, the next 10 years. And it will change our lives mainly for the better, but it will bring some challenges. But no longer can you be technology uh, not savvy. Every job in the world will require technology knowledge. You don't have to be able to be a programmer. My two-year-old granddaughter uh, broke her mother's code on her phone learning to get through her applications at that age. So we just have to make it easier to use, and uh, all this I think, will be doing technology, whether we're in uh, health care or uh, manufacturing or government activity.
2: I mean it almost sounds daunting you have 500 billion different devices all being connected you mentioned you need to be savvy during this what are you doing specifically are there certain articles you're reading um, news programs you follow to really stay ahead of these trends
0: well I'm a a learner by experience there was only one Steve Jobs and he just knew what to build uh, at Apple Uh, but it took him seven years to get it right Uh, I listen to my customers, and my customers have told me I did 180 acquisitions, Sean, uh, while I was at Cisco. Most people would say we were the most successful in all of high tech at doing applications with a replicatable innovation playbook, if you will, much like a a lacrosse team or a football team or a basketball team have their playbooks, and move with tremendous uh, speed on it. So it's that replication uh, of innovation that allowed us to, to really make a difference, and we, did, we could We could get a, a call from a customer and saying I should buy a company on a Thursday night and I didn't even know the name of the customer and by Monday morning have a $3 billion acquisition announced in the market because of that replicatable playbook. Take some risk. And as you know, if you're going to be a leader, if you're not willing to take risk, you're going to get disrupted. So uh, we're in a period of rapid disruption as 500 billion devices come together. Business model changes it took we saw, I was at Walmart board and uh, many years ago, over 20 years ago, and we saw Amazon coming, but we couldn't move fast enough. And Amazon passed the value of Walmart uh, a number of years ago in 21 years it took them. It only took Tesla to pass GM seven, uh, 14 years. And it only took Uber seven years to pass Tesla. Point is, as you connect these devices, change is gonna happen faster. And each of us have to be able to be comfortable in that change. But the basic values do not change. And that's what I tried to hit in the book was, as I talked to startups or government leaders around the world, big companies, small companies, they had very similar questions. How do you do vision and strategy? How do you deal with the media? How do you handle setbacks? How do you build a team? How do you stay close to your customers? Etc. How do you get ready for the next transition? And so when I saw that, they said, you ought to write a book. And I took a crack at it much harder than I ever thought it would be. However, Sean.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no speed is the name of the game. And you mentioned a replicatable playbook. And one of the superpowers I feel like you have is pattern recognition. And you're able to see all of these different things and kind of condense them and make them very clear and articulate both for you and then your customers. Do you think pattern recognition is a unique skill for you?
0: I think it, it it's one of the areas that I was very lucky in. Anybody that listens to me understands my English skills are not too good. My friends tease me about it not being bad for my second language. It's my first language and only language. But uh, uh, literally the ability to connect dots, and that's why I, I, I titled the book that. as Having watched the trends occur in West Virginia and watched this move from chemical center of the world and coal center of the world to a state that has to reinvent itself, or watching it occur, Boston 128, which used to be the Silicon Valley of the world, that interstate system around Boston, where there are a thousand many computer companies and supporters, they're gone. And it speaks no matter how good your education system is, if you don't reinvent yourself, you fall behind. So pattern recognition is what my dad helped me understand early on in West Virginia. And in part, because I'm dyslexic, I can't go A, B, C, D, E, F, G, I get lost, Uh, but I am pretty good at going one dots and then saying, here's the most likely outcome. And then being very blessed to have very strong people around me who are very good at operations. And I love building strong teams more than I do anything else. It's what I love about startups is helping the young CEOs really get it. And for he or her to see the opportunity and then almost like a coach, when you see them come together and achieve their successes, it makes you excited. But just like your kids, for those uh, who are listening, uh, your kids will be more product of how they handle their setbacks, their their misses. Not how many goals did they score in soccer, or uh, did they make a good grade on the test. But when they have their the first real setback socially, or or the challenges about can they achieve their goals, every parent would do anything to get their child through that first couple. Because once you get through the first couple, then you learn how to do it again and again. It builds that muscle memory that innovation playbook in your head that you can do it again. It doesn't mean it'll be easy the next time, but it absolutely will be easier and you'll have more confidence when you go after
2: it. Oh, John, I love hearing the passion in your voice when you talk about building teams and and you can see and feel just how much that means to you and how vital it is to your business. I definitely want to talk about the book Connecting the Dots in a second, but you kind of glossed okay. over that $3 billion acquisition which occurred almost over a weekend. Well, what's the story with that?
0: Well, it. It shows how important it is to know what you know and know what you don't. We rewrote the textbooks at Cisco, acquisitions in the early 90s and high tech, most all of them failed. And we took a different approach. We said innovation could be internal, but there are going to be small companies that move too fast. They'll get there in an area you haven't thought of, and you've got to learn how to acquire them. And we didn't think we'd be smarter than other people, so we said, how do we do it differently? And we developed literally a playbook on how do you focus on an acquisition target? What do they bring to you that's really going to make a difference? And I never acquired a company that had a different culture. And culture to me was everything because when you acquire a company, especially in high tech, if the culture match isn't there, your turnover of your people runs almost 20% per year. In other words, you lose what you bought. You were buying people for the next generation product my attrition rate of the acquired companies ran only about four percent at cisco so we selected the culture very carefully uh we made it part of our family we were a family of inclusion and we were tough to beat uh in terms of the direction but it was that ability to listen to the right customers so when that customer called me thursday night i knew them i trusted them when they said i ought to go buy this company i knew they were probably going to be right And when my business development guy went over there the next day and called me there and said, John, get here, I did. And I had a handshake at noon for $3 billion. I did every one of my acquisitions on trust. Even though I'm a lawyer by training, contract doesn't mean that much. It's do you have the person's word? Can you really make it go? Can you build that trust? And I found that to be true not only in the U.S., but as I go around the world.
2: I hope the listeners really let that one sink in and resonate. You mentioned culture and the companies you were acquiring culture was key. Do you think you can truly change a culture if you have a negative one to begin with and say you don't have one? How quickly can one turn negative on you?
0: Uh, three questions uh, in the sequence that you raised them. Uh, culture, when it's broken, is very hard to change. And uh, it doesn't mean you agree with the culture. Uh, in the culture at an Oracle or Microsoft or Cisco, is are very different, yet all three of them are very strong. But when you have a negative culture, one that has lost their way, Uber is an example uh, uh, in terms of their issue was not business model, their issue was culture was broken. It is hard to change. Second part of your question, it's usually when it's broken, you have to change the leaders uh, on it. And the third issue is that, culture with small companies, the CEOs of a young company, regardless of their age, get the strategy and vision as their job, and they get building a good management team as their job. And they're learning more and more. Communications is extremely, extremely important. But what they often miss is culture. And culture plays such a strong role in your future. At Cisco, for 20 years, if you can imagine, I knew every illness of every employee, their spouse, or their children that was life-threatening, and I was often heavily involved myself with it. And we made a huge difference in people's lives, and you could say, John, 75,000 people in the company, extended family 250,000. why did you do that? It's who we are, and culturally. Our attrition rate, voluntary attrition, in an area like Silicon Valley that runs 12 to 15% for most companies, we ran 5%. Uh, And our acquired companies actually ran 4%. So culture was such a huge part of who we are. Teaching that to the young startups is so fun because at first, usually the young startups, the millennials don't get culture being that important. Or they say, well, everybody knows what it is. Well, not true as you grow. You have to reinforce it. You have to talk about it. You have to articulate. You have to write it down. And then when they suddenly get how powerful it is and what a difference it can make, for good or for bad, that's, that's when I get excited about a teacher. And it's much like a coach of a sports team. When your team really executes and you can see all the hard work come out and, and the team gets what you've been trying to help them get through, that, that's very rewarding.
2: Yeah, hearing you talk about culture and understanding what you were able to build there, it it has me inspired. And I feel like I'm back on the sports field, uh, just training with my teammates, getting ready for an awesome match or exhibition. So it's really cool to hear you talk about that. I mean, your recent release of the book, Connecting the Dots, Lessons for Leadership in a Startup World, proving hard-won insights and critical tools to thrive during the accelerating disruption of the digital age. You mentioned this was much more difficult to write than you thought it was gonna be. What first inspired you to write this and why this time?
0: Well, what inspired me to write it and why this time is I was in a transition in my life to uh, moving out of the role of Cisco, and I had no intention of retiring. Uh, I just wanted to do what my next phase would be about, and I knew it would be about startups. And as I began to travel around the world, and I've talked to, uh, Sean, just about every major startup and venture capital group around the world, and I I was fortunate enough to get my pick of the litter which ones they wanted me to spend time with, uh, they asked the same questions. It didn't matter if I was in Dubai or, or Tel Aviv or Paris or New York or Charleston, West Virginia or Silicon Valley or New Delhi. Uh, the questions were remarkably similar. And then everybody kept saying, tell me the stories behind it, much like you did today. And then all of a sudden people said, John, write a book, and it will make a difference, and you can do on skill job creation, because I believe startups are the whole future. It's where almost all job creation is going to occur, small companies getting bigger, etc. And the big companies, because of the technology things, Sean, we talked about, will actually shed jobs over the next 10 years in total. So trying to get that startup engine inclusive across every state in the U.S. And out of my 16 startups, interesting enough, seven of them are in different states. Uh, trying to be an example of it made it exciting. By the book, it's sharing the lessons. I've seen, I've had a front row seat on all the changes that have occurred in in high tech, and I've had the the excitement and the challenges of growing from 400 people and 70 million in sales to 48 billion and 75,000 people, and now learning to do it with startups is is fun. Partially giving back because I'm a huge believer. You, corporate social responsibility is a must, and I think we have got to be very careful in Silicon Valley not to lose that image. And at the same time, it is fun. It's like having grandkids. I get to wind them up, Sean. They think I'm intelligent. And They listen to me, and then I give them back to management on Friday night, and I go have a bourbon and ginger ale.
2: (laughs) Oh, that is too funny. And I'm so appreciative that you did write this book. It's almost like a playbook for for a business school or some colleges. I could really see them adapting this into their curriculum. So it's very interesting to hear some of your insights, your stories. You mentioned the startups. I want to talk about how you mentioned the seven different states here in a second. But is there one founder or startup team you've come across recently that you just think they're operating at a different wavelength? they're truly seeing into the future?
0: You know, it's interesting. I, I get to see them all, Sean, and you know, it's like having kids and say, which one is your favorite, uh, including some of them that you decided not to invest in. But if I'd have one that I think has a chance to change dramatically the scope, it'd be one that is still stealth mode out of New York. Uh, it's an artificial intelligence. It's run by a young... Uh, a gentleman who just attracts talents like a magnet. He probably has 30 of uh, the top artificial intelligence PhDs in his company. Uh, they listen. He's very coachable. They did about a million foreign sales last year. They are over 80 million already in terms of orders this year. Uh, they are lighting the world on fire. And it's just fun because he's so coachable. And we talked about culture earlier uh, when I originally was talking to him about vision and strategy, I mean, he got it. He's wicked, wicked smart. And then I talked about the teams and how do you recruit ahead of sales and how do you grow an organization and how how do you deal with changes you have to make in the organization? He got that. And he learned the communications pretty quick, but I thought he was missing culture. And each time I talked about it, I finally just said, I'll I'll work on this a little bit later. And he came back to me and said, John, I want to give you a presentation that I'm going to share with my whole company on Tuesday." And he gave it to me. It was the best culture presentation I've seen. And it was so fun watching that occur. And then when he gave it, one of his team members had an issue with the loss of a loved one in her family. And he went out of his way to spend time. How do how can we help? What can we do? And she came back uh, two weeks later and said, it's the first time that I've been in four different companies I ever felt like management cared about me. And so culture is what makes great companies. Uh, But you have to teach it, and it's hard, and you've got to walk the talk. And so it is those type of examples that really do it. But that would be perhaps the leading company. But in fairness to my other 15 companies, they're all my favorites. Uh, just this one's at, at, at the forefront of the present time.
2: I mean, you mentioned the employee lo- losing a loved one and just what the, the founder did to kind of help her out during that time. And I feel like you're seeing less and less of that. And I'm I'm curious if you find that true. And do you think that's because it's very hard to measure the return on investment for your
0: time there? I think it's a com- commonality of, of issues. I think people are not forming as close uh, relationships at work as they did before for a combination of reasons. The millennials, you know, and my son who's working with me now, he's the two and JC2, he'd already been with five startups. <laughs> and, and I'd only been with three companies in my career. <laughs> and so the, the changes occur quicker. But I think the second thing is people don't grasp how important culture and getting close to the employees are. I mean, we were unbeatable at Cisco. You'd appreciate this. Nobody ever beat us in our core markets. Nobody ever got above 22% share when we'd have 40 to 65% share. Uh, we treated competitors fairly. We won every corporate social responsibility award. But we knew going onto the playing field that we were going to win. And we weren't arrogant or overconfident, but we did that in part on culture. We had each other's backs. We won or lost as a team, and we intended not to lose. And we did it in 16 of 18 major product areas. So I think the reward is there, but it's like corporate social responsibility Because you can't measure it, people often don't realize how important it is to their future and how much trouble it can get you in if you ever lose it. Uh, And I do think it's a factor when people are are turning jobs every two to three years, uh, getting that culture uh, to be as strong as it needs to be. Having said all that, out of the companies that I coach, I go straight to culture and I say this will either make or break you in terms of your future and don't underestimate it. And here's my advice. And then I do what a good mentor should do and coach should do. I, I put the ball back in their court, but it's your call.
2: If you're taking notes right now and you have an underlined culture, make sure you do that. Go back, listen to that segment right there. John, you also mentioned communication multiple times and communication was one of the keywords I had in my notes while reading your book. I mean, it's a unique skill set you really possess. I know you joked around uh, about the English language earlier, but I think you're a tremendous communicator. Um, and why was that such a focus for you and was there specifics that you really dove into? Did you ever meet with a communications coach, things like, that, or was it more innate in things you picked up along the way?
0: It was a combination of a bunch of factors. i it's a great question. Uh, I learned early on that to be a good leader, you had to be a good communicator. And while I was a good listener, I was not a good verbal speaker, uh, in part because of dyslexia. I couldn't read speeches. I got so nervous I would throw up for a speech, <laughs> literally in the bathroom. Uh, but I knew I had to do better at it. And uh, because I've learned to deal with areas like dyslexia earlier in life and learned to deal with setbacks in sports, et cetera, I, I took it on as a huge challenge. And I took what was one of my biggest weaknesses. And and most people would, would say, John, it's one of your biggest strengths today. And it's a combination of listening and communicating. But uh, I learn constantly after every session I do, including the session with you today, I have a member of the team listening She will give me feedback, what she thought I did well, what could I improve on. Uh, I will ask your feedback, Sean, to drop me a note. I'm going to send you a copy of my book. But if you'd send me a note back, both about the book and what I could do better on it, I constantly learn. I learned from President Clinton how to break down questions into three pieces. I learned how to, from Henry Kissinger, how to take uh, complex negotiations and be able to break it into the various alternatives and how you bounce between that. Uh, I've learned from listening to people, uh, George Bush and just people that your listeners might know, uh, uh, about how to listen intensely one-on-one. He's one of the better listeners I've ever seen, especially during our most stressful time of 9-11. I met with him in the Rose Garden uh, uh, during that time, and everybody in Washington was candidly really stressed out. He was the calmest person there, imperfect because of his religious views. But he was the most effective leader, I think, during that time period because of his ability to listen and say, here's what we need to do. And this was literally right after 9-11 when I uh, eventually became the co-chair for the National Infrastructure Advisory Board as an outgrowth of it. So to answer your question, combination of all of the above, you got to decide it's important. Uh, next to death of a loved one, public speaking is probably the number two fear most Americans have. And uh, for me, it was very strong. But it was so important that I learned how to overcome it, and, and I worked at it hard, and I work at it to this day very hard. It it just requires constant, constant work. And in today's world, if you can't communicate, it's going to be hard to be a leader, especially with the pace that social media is going to move, where if you're not listening different than before, you know, in uh, Wells Fargo, if they'd been listening to social media, they would have probably found out they had uh, bogus accounts being filed three Three years before that because at, at twitter there was 116 mentions of uh bogus accounts uh there uh, a, a major uh, airlines company would have learned that a passenger got removed uh was not misbehaving uh, and instead of saying that that the employees did the right thing he would say what we did was just wrong and it, it, it would have saved billions of dollars of damage to the company so learning to listen differently and listen to customers is very key, and it's something that I think all of us in life need to constantly work on. Know your strengths, know what you know, but more importantly, know what you don't.
2: You mentioned fears and managing emotions, and a question I get a lot from different listeners is they're about to go into a big meeting, maybe they're meeting with their boss, and there's a lot of nerves build up. Are there any strategies you were able to implement during your time at Cisco to help you calm your nerves and prepare for a big meeting like that?
0: Well, I think the first strategy is most important. I'm usually the best prepared when I go into every meeting. And I don't say that lightly. It takes uh, work to do it. And instead of it being bureaucracy, which I would have called originally, I would call it innovation, where I get the same playbook. I just run it very fast. And so when I'm well prepared, uh, uh, it's key. Secondly, fear is natural, whether you're getting swept away in the rapids or uh, you're questionable, is your company going to survive and grow? And If you're going to lead in today's world, if you think you're not beatable, you're wrong. You're very beatable. So you've got to have the courage to deal with those fears and focus it constructively. Uh, You've got to listen. Uh, One of the reasons that I think you can communicate well is you start with, Sean, what we talked a little bit earlier before we went on the show uh, about what does your audience want to hear and what's important to them and understand, just like talking to your boss, what does she or he, what are they interested in getting out of you, et cetera. And then you've got to practice and be crisp. And sometimes you can just you in trouble with your spouse to say, listen to me. I'm going to be talking to my boss tomorrow. Let me bounce some ideas off of you. And she or he can you know, help balance uh, uh, your approach to that. So uh, I think it is constantly learning. Not easy for most of us, but I think preparation and keeping in mind what does the other side really want to hear, whether you're acquiring a company, talking to your boss, or giving a major speech to 10,000 people.
2: Be the best prepared. Hold on to the fishing pole. Listen and practice some valuable advice there. Definitely take notes on that one. You're great at seeing and understanding market shifts, and we've talked a lot about transitions so far. I really want to dive into transitions. What are you seeing today in the marketplace? What should the listeners be on the lookout for?
0: Well, several things. The first and most important is when you have a market transition business model-wise or government-wise, with a tech transition of technology and the two combined, the speed of disruption is huge. You know, We talked briefly earlier about a, uh, an Amazon disrupting Walmart over 21 years before they moved past the value, of the financial markets value of Walmart. A Tesla taking 14 years to move past GM. A Uber taking seven years to move past Tesla. That gives you an idea of 21, 14, 7. The next changes might occur in three to four years. So it's the speed of change that people have to think about. Secondly, when you think about business disruption, think about it from the customer's perspective. What do your customers want differently? Uh, what are they expected to do differently? How are you going to use technology for it? Especially with the millennials. Uh, they're going to want to be serviced in, in any way they want, often directly from the, of, you know, the mobile phone capability, et cetera. And so it's getting those combination of the two. So in my own investments, I get the disruption with artificial intelligence, changing customer experience. I get the disruption with drones, not only bringing many things, food service to your home over time, package delivery, but also You've got to do defensive drone capabilities with one of the investments that I'm investing in called D drone, uh, growing about three x per year type capability. Security becomes very key across all this because all this data is available. There's going to be organized crime, bad guys, maybe even disgruntled employees that that may try to do you harm either as an individual or as a company. And so you've got to have good security in place. And so I think that's another transition uh, that will be ongoing in terms of the uh, the approach. So. Get the market transitions right. They wait for no one. Live in a period of disrupt or you're going to be disrupted. And uh, uh, perhaps the worst mistake you can make as an individual or as a leader is keep doing the right thing too long.
2: I mean, this just has to be such an exciting time for you. New transition for yourself. And then with how fast things are moving today, and you mentioned your your own venture, JC2. You want to talk more about that, specifically how you came about building that company and then what specifically you guys are doing and looking for?
0: I'd be honored. It It's fun. It I, I came about it because I love startups and I love building teams, sports teams at first and, and college and intramurals. And then after that, building small teams at IBM and then larger teams at Wang and then huge teams at Cisco. But it is where the innovation is going to occur. It's where a lot of our uh, best and brightest are coming out of universities. They no longer want to go to the big companies or the big government. They want to go to startups. It's more exciting for them. And so what I look for is exactly what we talked about earlier, Sean. I look for a market in transition, both business model-wise i.e. retail, going from physical to ordering online, or cars instead of being bought or shared, i.e. Uber, et cetera. And then I look for the CEO. Uh, I invest, I bet on leadership, and one of the chapters in, in the book is about bet on uh, innovative leadership. And then I look to see if they can be the one or two player in their industry segment. And then I look, if they really want to be coached in direction? So I have that replicatable playbook, just like I did for 180 acquisitions. And you know, it's, it's the, the process that's being taught at Stanford and Harvard on how to do acquisitions. I'd like to see that same replicatable uh, playbook work for startups, whether you're an investor or whether you're helping to grow a startup, et cetera. And so I'm having the time of my life, and, and uh, uh, it is so much fun. I wish I'd actually started it earlier.
2: Yeah, I loved your chapter on leadership and the CEOs there. Are are there things you think right now a lot of these young CEOs just don't possess yet, whether it's something they weren't able to pick up in school or it's just the way social media is influencing people that maybe they're missing this skill set? Anything like that come front of mind for you?
0: Well, I think every generation has areas they have to learn on. So I I can't be more critical of the generation that, that follows me than I would have been about the generation in front. But I think the speed of change comes to mind very quickly. The second thing is what will get a leader in trouble is if she or he doesn't know what they know and know what they don't. Because when you don't know what you don't know, you can move and make huge mistakes very quickly. An engineering lead CEO who thinks because they're really smart in engineering, they know what a good sales lead looks like. Almost every time I see that engineering lead recruit their sales lead, they mess it up because they try to get a salesperson who's like an engineer and that's not what you want. Uh, I think there's a real danger. Silicon Valley is becoming as much a concern in terms of overconfidence bordering on arrogance, as opposed to giving back. You know, during the internet and for several decades, we we were extremely well-respected everywhere in the world and we spent a lot of time giving back. I think it's very important that tug of war goes back to corporate social responsibility. I think Mark Benioff at Salesforce.com is doing a great job of that, but we've seen some other models that have, have clearly missed. So to your question, I think young leaders, most important, clear vision and strategy, just do the right thing. Corporate social responsibility should be a part of your program. Uh, it's the right thing to do for business. Those who are most successful. owe oh, an obligation to give back. And your employees will want to work there because of that. And be very careful. Just because you've been successful... You shouldn't tell other people how to live their lives. Uh, That comes across as overconfidence. uh, And uh, you've got to be respectful of what government has fair requests on. uh, Otherwise, you can get into a lot of trouble very quickly. So those are kind of the watch outs that I would uh, suggest
2: some great watch outs there we're talking a lot about startups in america and their location in america and you mentioned with jc2 ventures seven different states i think it said you're investing in right now where is the growth opportunity you're seeing there and what are you doing to help grow these different states and help them become startup hubs
0: well the uh the growth opportunity if i were just trying to make money i'd stay in silicon valley where i know all the venture capitalists i can back channel anyone very quickly when i need to recruit people Uh, etc. But I'm a huge believer that if we do that, we're not going to create the jobs in the heartland of America at the level we need to do so. And uh, so I'm trying to go across the states and create examples on how to do it, both with companies that are successful, uh, but also meeting with startups, etc. Most recently, two weeks ago, I was honored to uh, with West Virginia to partner on a startup state. And with West Virginia University, they they were kind enough to name the business school after me. But I originally didn't want it named after me. I said, get somebody to name it after me. I'll help you regardless. And they said, John, we want the brand. And I understood that. But it wasn't about naming a business school. It was about becoming a startup state on how do we break down the silos in the university between engineering and uh, business and medical and liberal arts. And how do we go across the whole university with the startup mentality Because that's where the job creation will occur. It took a a very courageous uh, president of the university, Gordon Gee, who came from Ohio State and Brown and and Vanderbilt and other schools and really believes in West Virginia and wants in this chapter of his life to make a difference. And then with the lead of the business school becoming the VP of startups across the group, putting venture capital in, controlled by the university with an advisory group of business people to help these startups occur And at the session, something very unique. We had the governor. We had the uh, Speaker of the uh, House, the President of the Senate. We had the two national senators, one a Democrat, one a Republican. And we had a huge representative Mountaineers from around the world who came together saying, we can do this and we we need to get innovation back in our state and we got to take risk. But the biggest risk is not doing something different and expecting a different result. That's the definition of insanity in sports. Keep running the same play, Mm -hmm. it isn't working, and think you'll get a different result. So I think if we work this way, I think startups will be around university hubs. If it works well in West Virginia, tell me why it won't work in Indiana or Arkansas or North Carolina or Florida. And I think it's so important we get the startup engine, both in this country, going better than it is today, but more inclusive. We're at a 20-year low, Sean, in startups in this country just two years ago. Uh, We think we're the innovation leader in the world. We're number 11, according to Bloomberg Index, not even in the top 10. We need to get our confidence back. We need to become an innovation engine again. And we can't do that without startups growing dramatically faster. We're going to have a problem with job creation the way we're currently headed.
2: Yeah, I mean, if there's any young listeners, say, in high school, about to enter college, what should they really be focusing on right now if they're interested in entrepreneurship, startups, things of that nature?
0: Well, first, I think even if you're not interested in entrepreneurship or startups or technology, you've got to understand it. And this is where I think a broad background is important for leaders. If you said, John, what's going to be the hottest job ticket? Uh, entrepreneurs that really understand artificial intelligence, uh, who really understand either the engineering or the application of that, you can write your own ticket. And you, if you want to add a, uh, an extra degree concept to that security, uh, that would be one that you'd have job security, pardon the pun, for the rest of your life on. So I think we've got to get young people excited about technology, not in college, but in the second, third, and fourth grade. That's where we lose a lot of our women. Uh, lose interest in technology and entrepreneurship. And we've got to make it not about programming and something those geeky guys over the side do, but more mainline on entrepreneurship and how you use technology to change our lives. Much like my two-year-old granddaughter understood by hijacking her her, uh, mother's phone many years ago, she could literally uh, get to the game she wanted to play, et cetera. So it isn't that people don't have an interest here. You just got to make it fun, kind of exciting, that sizzles.
2: Yeah, we're an exciting time right now. I can't remember a guest who brought this much value, this many actionable takeaways. One question if I don't ask, my listeners always get so frustrated. Do you have any routines, whether those be morning routines or work strategies you've implemented that you've had tremendous success with?
0: I absolutely believe in that. And and it's the first time I've had the question asked that directly. Uh, I literally uh, start my day by what am I going to accomplish for the entire day uh, and I look down through the schedule, key uh, uh, meetings I have, and I start to visualize that in my mind. If I have time and it's light, I, I run early in the morning, uh, and I go through what's on my mind. If I don't have time, I swim, uh, because you can get more exercise in quicker. It's a little bit more boring, however, on it. And I also, before I go into every meeting, your listeners will get a kick out of this. One of the most important lessons I learned was, take time to go to the bathroom. And when a senior lawyer at a firm in Michigan told me that when I was a young leader, I asked him for advice and he said, John, before you do anything important, uh, take time to go to the bathroom. That'll become more important to you later in life. And he laughed and I laughed and he said, did you get it? And I said, yeah, I got it. Uh, When you finish a meeting, summarize that meeting and get your action items in place. Before you go into the next meeting, get everything off your mind that might distract you from that meeting, whether it's going to get a Diet Coke or go to the bathroom or a call home, then prepare for the next meeting and start off the next meeting quickly. That was probably the best piece of advice I ever got. I used to use the excuse to go pick up a Diet Coke when I finished one meeting to go with the next one. I'd go over and find a Diet Coke. I'd summarize the meeting in my mind. I'd get prepared for the next one, et cetera. Then people kept bringing Diet Cokes into the meeting, so I had to go to the bathroom so (laughs) that I could plan for the next one. But sometimes basic concepts like that help me, and the regular routine makes a difference. There is no substitute for preparation. If you want to be good in a meeting, be well-prepared.
2: Yeah. Preparation. That could be my biggest takeaway here, both in the call prior to hitting record. You were prepared. You knew so much about me already, even though this was going to be a short glimpse in your day. So I really do appreciate that. Any final words you have for young entrepreneurs? Obviously, we're going to have the book linked up for the listeners, Connecting the Dots, Lessons for Leadership in a Startup World. I love this book. I crushed it in just two short nights. So I really do appreciate you writing this out. Wow. But anything else for young entrepreneurs?
0: Yeah, I I think most important is we're in a period of time that you either disrupt or you're going to get disrupted. But on the much more positive side, dream big and be bold. And many people would say, I actually at times maybe dream too big or try to take on too much. After really thinking about it, I respectfully disagree. I wish I would dreamed bigger and been even bolder. And I think there's nothing that we can't do as a country or you can't do as a leader Uh, If you're willing to dream and take risk and periodically have failures along the way. So I think perhaps key takeaway, if you only walk away with one concept, dream bigger and be bolder.
2: I absolutely love that. John, this is tremendous for me. This is a true honor to speak with you. What I love the most, though, is I know all the listeners got tremendous value out of this. I can't thank you enough for joining us on What Got You There, and I look forward to following your continued success now in the family business with JC2 Ventures. So John, thank you so much.
0: Sean, it was my honor. And uh, good luck to Carolina, except when they played (laughs) this. Thanks so much.
2: If you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance that your physical fitness is one of the most important aspects of your life. So why do you keep wearing those old workout shorts that are falling apart? Or even worse, when you're at the gym and something smells a little ripe? If that's the case, it's time to turn in those old shorts for a new pair of 10,000 shorts. 10,000 makes it super simple to purchase your new favorite workout apparel. My new favorite short is their distance short, which is super comfortable, lightweight, and perfect for all of my fitness goals. I can say without a doubt that 10,000 shorts are the most comfortable workout shorts I have ever worn. Like myself, 10,000 is obsessed with nailing the fit with the highest quality materials and construction. For the listeners of what got you there, 10,000 is offering 20% off your first order of shorts. Yes, that's 20% off. This is just in time to purchase the perfect holiday gift for your loved one or even treat yourself to a new wardrobe for the new year's goals. When you check out, make sure you request their one-in-one-out kit. They do the super cool thing when you can send in your old gear you have for recycling and you'll get 10% off your next order. Head to www.10,000.cc forward slash WGYT to receive 20% off your order. And if for some reason you don't love them, they have your back with free shipping, free exchanges, and free returns. A few months ago, my body was experiencing a ton of pain, and that's when my friend and former podcast guest, Noah Olson, turned me on to Pure Spectrum CBD. Their CBD products have been tremendous in relieving a lot of the pain in my body. Their products are pure because everything they make is tested every time for quality, consistency, and efficiency. They're 100% organic, third-party tested. There's a 100% guarantee, and they're THC-free. If you want to receive 10% off the entire site Head to PureSpectrumCBD.com and enter code WGYT. That's 10% off the entire website at PureSpectrumCBD.com with code WGYT. For the what got you there listeners who love to travel and want to see the world, listen up. We've teamed up with Globekick, who make it affordable to enjoy peak life experiences with like minded people from around the world. Globekick expertly designs, curates, and scouts global adventures for you to join. Each trip lasts one week and is designed to balance their unique blend of adventure, culture immersion, and relaxation. GlobeKick has some epic adventures planned, such as cage diving with great white sharks in Cape Town, South Africa, dog sledding and northern light chasing in Norway, and to see the rest, head to globekick.com. If you want to travel the world with your kind of people and not break the bank, then make sure to stop at globekick.com and enter code WGYT to receive 10% off your membership.
0: What got you there with Sandnda Laney uh, what got you there with Sandunder Laney What got you there with Sandunder uh, Laney what got you there what got you got you
2: Thanks for listening to another episode of What got you there. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and also share with your friends. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you next time. If you want to stay up to date on all things I'm working on behind the scenes and everything we've got going on at What Got You There, head over to whatgotyouthere.com. You'll also be able to see more on podcast guests and what they're doing. Thanks to Justin Great for providing us the intro and outro song. If you like his music and want to find out more about what he's working on, head over to justingreat.com.